right, a few things before I get into this sermon. I did get a frame for that uh, meant-to-serve sheet. For those who weren't here, when they were tearing down the walls, they found an old meant-to-serve sheet from uh, the year 2000, and there's a lot of names. A lot of names here I recognize, some I don't. Uh, and I'll leave it down here at the communion table so you can take a look at it. And as I mentioned last time, it was, I guess y'all completed that edition over there just a few weeks after I was born. So, if you want to take a look at this, take a look at the names. You know, some of them, obviously, I recognize Charlie Smith, John, uh, let's see, Drew Curtis, Don, Raymond Jones, Marcus Jones, Drew Curtis, yeah, I already said Drew Curtis. So, there's several names here I recognize, some I do not. So, if y'all want to take a look at this, you know, kind of nostalgic, y'all can. Uh, And then, as for the sermon, there is one thing I do want to show, just to kind of set it up, and partially it's it's nostalgic for me because this was six years ago. It's a video of one of the uh, songs that we sang in choir, and it's relevant to the theme, the main point of the sermon. So if you could play that video. phone recording and I'm white, very white, and so the, the, the stage lights just boom, illuminate me. You, yeah, you can't really see anything. And so, yeah, that's a phone recording. I, I, I tried to find the professional recording because they always professionally record them, but 
I could only find a phone recording. And I don't know how you feel about choir singing. I know some people, it's not their favorite thing in the world. But that song was probably one of my favorite songs. We sang in choir. It's just such a, such a beautiful song. And if you were there in the audience, it would have sounded, it just filled the room, just echoing witness. And the, the idea of witness is the main point, the main focus of our sermon. And as you can see in that picture, that picture, that painting there is a painting from a 16th, 7th century painter, Caravaggio, and it depicts uh, Peter's crucifixion, Peter's death. And traditionally, it is thought that Peter, he was going to be crucified, and he requested to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel like he was worthy to be crucified like Jesus was crucified. And so uh, that picture there, it, it really portrays well, what Peter went through as a witness, as a witness to Jesus, such suffering and such humility. And it's, a, it's very an interesting, interesting thing that we have paintings like this. We have even paintings of Jesus' crucifixion, such a really a gruesome thing. But these artists, these painters who are able to capture it in a way, make it almost beautiful. Uh, it's such a terrible event, yet at the same time, the witness that Peter was, the witness that the apostles witnessed that all the believers of the first century, it is a beautiful thing what they were willing to endure for Jesus. And so this idea of witness, this word witness in the Greek, it's, uh, there's a few words. There's martureo and martyria. That's the word we have for witness. And you can see where we get our word martyr from. Martureo, martyria. That's where we get our word martyr from. And so this Greek word, it can just mean to witness, to testify, or to suffer martyrdom. And that is the, the one thing that separates just any old witness, right? Any witness on a stand. One thing that separates them from the witnesses to Jesus is that they were willing to suffer and to die. They were willing to suffer martyrdom that, to that point of being a witness. And that is something I think we all got to be Right, we're not just saying we believe in Jesus, but we should be witnesses who are willing to go to the point of martyrdom. After all, that is where our word martyr comes from, being a witness. And now our modern idea of witness can help with thinking about this, right? You have somebody who comes up on a stand right, to defend someone or something, and what makes them credible or not? Right? If they've actually saw, and if they you know, are, are a credible person, right? do they have character? That makes a credible witness. And so at the end of the sermon, we're going to kind of take a look at the witnesses of Jesus, whether or not they are credible. So as you already get the gist here, uh, the main point of the sermon is focusing on the witness of Jesus. Jesus, he does not just testify for himself. He doesn't just witness for himself. He has backup. And his father, in fact, is a witness to him. Arguably, the father is the main witness to Jesus. And in light of that witness, Jesus, in the following text, he warns those listening about where they stand. We either believe it, believe the witness of Jesus, or we do not. And here's the thing. Every single person in here, at some point, started from a place of unbelief. Whether you believe it or not, there was a point where you did not put your faith, your trust, your belief in Jesus. Even if you were raised in the church, we all at some point start from a place of belief. So this week we're going to take a look at John chapter 5. 
John chapter 5, verses 30 through 37. I was tempted. I was tempted to go all the way to verse 47, but that would be like a 40-minute sermon, and you know that I don't do those. So John chapter 5, verses 30 through 37. We're going to read through the text, and we're going to break it down. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another one who bears witness about me, and I know that his testimony, the testimony that he bears about me, is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And as we've done these past few weeks, we're going to break this down slowly because there's a lot here to unpack. Verse 30, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Real quick, is there feedback coming here? At least I'm getting feedback. Yeah. Okay, that, that, that's much better. Thank you. So remember, the son, he's working as the father has worked. He, he does everything that he sees the father doing, and as Jesus says here, he doesn't do anything on his own. Everything the the son says, everything the son does, there's not a single word, there's not a single action that is against the father's will. The son and the father are perfectly aligned in their will. Jesus, he's not self-serving, he's not self-glorying, he's not selfish, he's selfless. He's completely concerned about the father's will. Verse 31, continue on, he says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not True. In other words, if if my support is just what I'm saying to you right now, my testimony is not true. Now think of it this way. If you're you're put on trial for whatever reason, say you're put on trial and the the judge asks you, do you have any other witnesses to stand up for you? Say, no, just me. What are the chances that you're going to be able to defend yourself? Practically zero. Obviously, if you have other witnesses, your testimony is going to be much more credible. And Jesus, he understands this. See, Jesus understands if it's, if it's just Jesus, the human being, without the signs, without the wonders, without the word of the Father, obviously his testimony would not be true. And later on in these verses, one thing you're going to see is he points to those signs and wonders, and he points to his Father as things that testify to him. See, if Jesus is just saying, yeah, I'm the Son of God, without the works, without the signs, without the Father saying so, his testimony would not be true. Verse 32. There's another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Now this verse is a little ambiguous. After all, it's not immediately clear who he's talking about. He could be talking about John the Baptist. He could be talking about his father. After He mentions both in the following verses. So, Whether he's talking about John or the Father, it's not immediately clear. However, one thing that is clear is that the Father's witness is by far more convincing than that of a man. The Father's witness of Jesus is much more important than John the Baptist's 
witness. Now let's continue on in verses 33 and 34. Jesus says, You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man. Now get that. You've got to pay close attention here. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. Here's the thing. John bore witness to Jesus. Right, we, we saw that at the beginning of the Gospel of John. John was having people baptized. In a way, he was pointing others to the Messiah. He bore witness, and that is good. But Jesus' testimony does not stand on that. With the things that John the Baptist did and what he said, that's not the ground upon which Jesus stands. He does not stand or fall based on what John the Baptist said. So why does Jesus say this? Well, in verse 34, he says, but I say these things so that you may be saved. See, there was something greater than John's witness, something that saves. And here's the thing. Here's the thing, a point that we, I think we can take from this, these two verses. Jesus does not need man to testify for him. I want you to really think about this. Jesus does not need me up here right now preaching. He invites me to. It is by his grace that I am up here right now testifying, preaching about Jesus. But let's make one thing clear. Jesus does not need anyone. He does not need man to testify for him. He invites us to. It's by his grace that we can testify about him. I think we do ourselves a disservice if you think that Jesus needs you, that Jesus needs your, your, your testimony. Jesus does not stand or fall based on what you say. Regardless of whether you believe or not, Jesus is still Lord. Regardless of whether you say that or not, Jesus is still Lord. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to communicate here. I, I do not stand or fall based on man's word. Jesus doesn't need our testimony. He's more than enough. Verses 35 through 36. Jesus talking about John the Baptist. He says, He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. See, John the Baptist's testimony does not compare to the works that Jesus has done. Uh, the works that witness to who Jesus is, the works that confirm who he is as the Son of God. Remember, the, these miracles, these signs, they signal someone and they signal to who he is. They, these works, these signs don't happen apart from the work of God. Water changed the wine, a boy healed 15 miles away, a paralytic made to walk does not happen apart from the work of God. And I know some people say, you know, it's all made up. I know some people say it didn't really happen, miracles don't really happen. But I think everybody, I think every single person has seen a miracle, but that does not mean they recognize it. Just because somebody doesn't recognize something as a miracle does not mean 
They don't exist. There were people in Jesus' time who saw him perform miracles and they said, look, that's the work of demons. Just because you see a miracle doesn't mean you're going to perceive it as a miracle. Verse 37. And the Father who has sent me has himself, the Father himself has borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. You have never seen. You see, God the Father himself bears witness. We have the signs. We have the miracles. I would say those are empirical evidence that Jesus is who he is. But the Father himself bears witness. Matthew 3, verse 17, when the Spirit descends on Jesus and God, the, the heavens are split open, God proclaims, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. The Father himself bears witness to Jesus the Son. Now keep in mind who Jesus is talking to here. He's talking to his people. He's talking to Jews and they don't believe. Now while I think he's immediately talking to them, he's talking to these Jews who don't believe his witness, I think this applies to anyone, which is all people who are once in a place of unbelief. Because again, might I remind you all, we were all at one point in a place of unbelief. Even in the face of sufficient evidence, sufficient witness, in the face of signs and wonders, in the face of the Word of God, in the face of so many people, so many witnesses who, who suffered and died for Jesus, we were once at a point of unbelief. Now recently I watched a, a kind of a Q&A video and there was somebody in this video who, who said that if they verbally heard God or if they witnessed a miracle, they would have two plus two equals four certainty. That they would believe if they heard God or if they saw a miracle. Well, number one, right, just because you haven't perceived a miracle does not mean they don't exist. That's not sufficient evidence against miracles to say, I've never seen one. Number two, I think we can all have certainty, absolute certainty about Jesus. However, think about this for a second. Do you base all your beliefs on 2 plus 2 equals 4 certainty? Do you have that kind of certainty that you're going to wake up and live another day? When you go get in your car and drive wherever, do you have 2 plus 2 equals 4 certainty that you're going to make it to your destination? And so it's a little bit ironic that people will say, you know, if I, if I just heard God, if I just saw a miracle, then I would believe when so many people believe things that they don't have that kind of certainty for. So to me, it kind of seems like a cop-out when people say that. And I saw another video. There was this person who was saying that, uh, again, if they, if they saw a miracle, if, if God were to come down right now, if Jesus were to come down right now and stand before me, I would believe. And then somebody looked at them and they asked, well, so you would believe, but would you want your life to be changed? So you would believe who Jesus was, but would you actually want your life to be changed? And they said, no. Then you don't really believe. Because that's not what Jesus came down to do. Just say, oh, believe in me and then nothing's going to change. No, he came down to cleanse people and to change people. There are people who say that if they had sufficient evidence 
a miracle right in front of them that they would believe, but the reality is they would not actually believe because they don't want their lives to change. Here's what I'm going to leave you with. See, if you trust that Jesus actually did what he did, if you actually believe the, the witnesses of Jesus, then the dominoes, they have to fall. Why, why wouldn't you submit to him if you actually trust him? Maybe it's because you don't actually trust him. See, the witnesses of Jesus are, the, are more than enough. The signs, the miracles, the, the word of God the Father. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, and this is not even like I would say the main witness, this is just evidence, the unrivaled manuscript evidence, the, the New Testament, the Bible being the most reliable historical work, most attested to historical work, not another historical work coming close to the Bible's reliability, and the thousands of martyrs within the first century, like Peter, who were willing to suffer such gruesome deaths, not for a lie. And the millions of martyrs throughout history who are willing to suffer for the truth. See, the thing is, if you've heard how Jesus has lived, you've heard how Jesus has died, you've heard how Jesus was raised from the dead for of sins and for newness of life, you've heard enough. See, the reality, Jesus doesn't really need me to defend him. Jesus has defended himself more than enough. Once you've heard about Jesus, you've heard enough. You're now liable whether or not you believe. And next week we're going to consider, we're going to consider why at one point we were all at a place of unbelief. But for now, I hope you respond to him as we stand and sing.